So since we talked last, you were inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame with the fight with Shogun Hua, which we talked about on the last podcast. But how had that go down? Was it in Vegas when that when you went to do that? Yeah, that was in Vegas, and uh, I think they inducted a few other people for various reasons into the Hall of Fame. How does the Hall of Fame work with the UFC? There's like different wings to it. Like there's a trailblazer wing. There's a fight. There's fights that go into there's like just certain fights, right? Like you had a fight go into the Hall of Fame and then there's an actual maybe an announcer where like Joe Rogan might go into one time or 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 brute or a buffer or how does all that work? Uh, Yeah, I, I think they have. I think mine was in the fight wing, which they inducted the fight into the hall of fame, not necessarily the individuals in the fight, just the fight. And then, uh, I think they have, uh, actual fighters that get inducted to the hall of fame. There was a couple that night. Then there was, um, I think they call it a contributor wing where, uh, one of the main producers that passed away was inducted. He was the producer on almost every single UFC that they've had, uh, including all the ones on Fox and Spike. He was at every show almost, so and he had just passed, and, and uh, he got inducted, and then there's, uh, you know, various things like that, but yeah, that, that there's like contributor. I don't know how many wings there are, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool event, We're- except for some of the speeches were a little bit long. Mine was short and sweet, I think. What'd you do? Just get up there and say, thank you, Shogun. And that was a hell of a night and call it good. Uh, no, a little bit more to, more than that, but you know, it was a five minutes instead of 15 to 20. That's all <laughs> kind of like the Academy of, uh, when they, when you win an Oscar and they start playing that music, when yeah, it's, when it's they, they needed some sort of, uh, cue. cue to get the guy to stop talking. When was that the same night that Rousey went in? Yeah. What is your honest opinion to that? Are, are you friends with Ronda Rousey? No. Do you know her? Not really. Have you just never gotten close with her through you were kind of done with the UFC by the time she was still there when you, when you had your last couple fights, she was UFC. fighting in strike force. When I fought in strike force, um, she just started in strike force when the UFC bought it. And then that's kind of how it happened to where she's in the UFC now. And then, or was in the UFC and you know, so I, but I never really, uh, she's not one of those real personable people that strikes up a conversation and, and I don't know. She just didn't seem like she had the right attitude for me to go up and talk to want to talk to her. You know, I had nothing really to say to her and I guess she had nothing to say to me. So yeah, we never really talked. So there's no bad blood there. It's just, you guys just were never, no. never friends. So then nothing when you, like- when you've done it and when you've accomplished what you've done in the, in the mixed martial arts world, from your days of a, an Olympic wrestler, champion wrestler, um, you know, holding all the belts that you did in uh, overseas in Japan when you were in Pride and Strike Force champion, and then coming to the UFC and having some of the biggest fights in UFC history. When you see somebody that had had a few fights, she did good in the UFC. She was, you know, she came up and she had, it was there in good timing to where she became a celebrity in a hurry, it seems like. And then Holly Holm came in there and that kick. And, you know, I don't know if Ronda was ever the same after that. And then a lot, it seems like a lot of other good female fighters started to get in the mix that were out there. And then, but she maybe went into the UFC Hall of Fame because she was at the forefront of kind of being a pioneer for women fighting. 
because it doesn't seem like she's had the career as record wise to be a hall of fame fighter per se. No, I agree. Uh, you know, and I don't think as far as being a pioneer for women MMA, I wouldn't put her at the forefront of that either. I think, you know, cyborg and Gina Carano both, you know, gave a lot more and put a lot more time into it, which probably opened the door for people like Ronda Rousey. But I think timing wise with, with, the UFC putting women in the UFC before they, they never had a woman bout and then they decided to do it. And Rhonda was their, their main person that they kind of leaned on. And at the same time, pushed, pushed forward and, and gave her a lot of notoriety that she has today because of the UFC and, and the timing of the fact that they were putting women in, in the octagon. So why wouldn't the UFC have put Gina in the octagon? Meaning that as far as a draw goes, she, she was out there. She was developing a, uh, a personality, a kind of a status out in the world. And, and also she was a talented fighter. She's easy on the eyes. She's a hard worker. She's got a good message, a good story. She's well-spoken. Why wouldn't they have given her a chance back in the day? Why, why do you think it was Rousey? Was it just that Rousey brought something with her, with her judo and her Olympic, with her Olympic bronze medal or whatever she ended up winning the Olympics? Was there something that gave her the go ahead in Dana White's eyes to be like, this is the one? No, I think uh, just the timing of it. Just, you know, when, when Gina Carano was, was popular, she was in, uh, Elite XC and Strike Force, or not, I think it was pre-Strike Force. Uh, you know where she had some pretty big fights that were marketed pretty well, but I just think the UFC was at a point where they weren't worried about women's MMA yet. They, you know, they didn't really uh, think about it until they bought Strike Force, and Strike Force had women fighting in in their organization, and so that they decided to to move them over to the UFC. And when, when, when Ronda Rousey gets inducted in the hall of fame, I know how, I know your attitude in life and I know that it doesn't, that it doesn't never strikes you as an envious deal, but why are you not in the UFC hall of fame straight up as a fighter or are you right now? No, I'm not, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure it'll happen, but I don't really dwell on it. I don't really pay attention to, to, to that that much. I just know that, uh, over the years of fighting it, I, I never thought to myself, I better train harder so I can get into the hall of fame. I, I just trained for every fight to, to win every fight and do the best I could. And, and, uh, I, I did it for other reasons, not because of the hall of fame, but as a fan looking at, at the fight game and knowing what somebody like Uriah did as you know he he was a, a a smaller fighter as far as size goes but he did well in the, the wec which ended up being bought by the ufc and put in their fighters were mixed into the ufc portfolio and res and uh in, in their offering and then you had you in pride which was bought by the ufc strike force was bought by the ufc you are are a trailblazer in the sport. You've won every title imaginable except for the UFC belt, which you should have, and it very easily could have with, with different timing. And, and in my opinion, as far as that last fight, I still don't know to this day if, if it was the correct outcome. But why would you be overlooked in your opinion? I just want your opinion of why would you not be there when Uriah went in so fast 
when you accomplish as much, if not more than Uriah did in his days of being a fighter? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy, but at the same time, like I said, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, it's, it's not that I don't care. It's just that, you know, I have way too many other things going on in my life that I I care more about than if I'm going to get in the UFC someday in the hall of fame someday. So when you do get that phone call and they say that you're coming back to Vegas for another induction and this time it is as a fighter, will the speech be longer than the one for the roof fight or for the Shogun who fight, or will it be about the same? Cause I know that you're short with words. You always have been, but I walk around this gym today, Dan and guys, by the way, this is Chad building with another episode of this life ain't for everybody coming at you live from Dan Henderson's gym in Temecula, California and team quest, everything that Dan uh, puts out there as far as his fight, um, company and resume right now comes out of this area of Southern California. We're just North of San Diego and we're humbled and blessed to be in here, seeing the octagon, seeing everything that Dan has inside this gym, knowing his plans for this area. It's just been awesome. And, and now I'm sitting here with him and I walk around this gym Hendo, and I see these pictures and I see these belts and I see the opponents that you fought and beat. And I know I've been a fan of yours forever. And now we're friends, which is humbling to me. And I was just talking to Tom, like, I can't believe we're just sitting, here chilling with Hendo in his gym. Um, and I, I know that you hear things like that and you're just like, yeah, well, whatever. I'm just a normal guy. And I get that. But in a lot of people's eyes, you've been more, you know, you've been more than just a normal guy. And when I walk around this gym, I'm like, there's no freaking way that this guy shouldn't be like, you know, one of the most decorated, celebrated fighters of all time. And I think it's unreal that you just kind of take it as a grain of salt that you're not in the Hall of Fame. And I guess as a fight fan looking at it, does the UFC Hall of Fame really mean anything? I don't know, because you 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 have people that you think should be in there that aren't. You have people that go in there real early. You have people that that aren't in there that you think should be in there. I guess I'm trying to get it out of you that, you know, you deserve to be in there, but you're not going to say it, but walking around this gym and thank you for letting us be in here. Your career has been freaking amazing. When I, when I first sat down and talked with you at my studio, you, you really have no idea what this man has accomplished until, and we haven't even got to the big trophy room yet at his house for dinner tonight, but it's an amazing career, dude. And I know that you're going to sit there and say, well, I didn't do it for the accolades or the pictures, but there's not many careers in the fight game that have been like this. Well, I mean, there's probably not very many that, that spanned over 20, you know, about 20 years like mine did. Um, I know that, but, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be cool to be in the UFC Hall of Fame, and, and I'm sure someday it'll happen. And yes, my speech will probably be at least a minute longer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm good with my career. I'm satisfied with what I've done, and, and you know... Moving forward, I'm I, I'm on to, to different goals and, and things in life that I want to accomplish, and and uh, I'm good with things. I'm I'm happily uh, retired and and have no desire to come back and fight yet. Uh, maybe it'll happen someday, but uh, as as right now, I don't feel like uh, I'm good with the retirement. And as far as what you're seeing going on in the sport that you were so important to and still are and and were for so many years as a trailblazer. Last time we sat down together, we had talked about the incident that had happened in New York with Connor. And how do you pronounce the guy's name? I don't want to mess it up. 
is it Zabib? Khabib? Khabib. Um, did it work? I mean, he's going to get a payday now. It looks like October 6th, they're going to spare, they're going to, you know, go toe to toe in the octagon. Was that all a game with, with what Connor was doing, uh, going to court, getting arrested, getting the charges filed against him. And now they're already slating it in on UFC on a report. I saw they were slating it as the biggest fight in UFC history already. And I was like, geez, like really? Because this Khabib guy must just be like Yvonne Drago or something that cause I, I know he's good, but is it really slated already being slated as the biggest fight in UFC history? Well, I'm sure that they'll pump it up knowing that, uh, you know, especially after the 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 Conor McGregor Mayweather fight, I think uh, that added more eyes to to his already pretty big fan base because of his mouth. You know, and I think uh, I don't know. If, I don't think that that was planned. I think uh, Conor just didn't care and and thought that nothing would happen to him in New York if he goes and crashes something through a bus window and and makes other fighters uh, miss their fight be- that they trained for because uh, they got injured in that process. I don't think he even cared about any of that, you know, and I think, uh, you know, asking for that, that fight and might, might not have been the best fight for him to ask for. I think Khabib has a good chance of beating him down once he, uh, especially if he gets him on the ground. Well, you know more about, way more, obviously, about fighting than I do, and I'm I'm pretty immature with Khabib's career. What is his specialty, and what has he accomplished as far as you know in his with his history so far? Well, I, he's undefeated, and he's had a number, quite a few. I don't know what his record is, but it's you know twenty something fights, and and uh, hasn't lost. But when he gets on top of guys, is where he's just nasty. He doesn't let them up, and he just beats him down and usually finishes guys when he gets on top. So we saw with um, Diaz that on their feet, him, him and McGregor in the first fight, I'd say it was pretty close. And then when Diaz used his wrestling and some jujitsu and took him to the ground, Connor had no answer. People have, I've heard people say in the fight game that Connor's improved his wrestling skills and his takedown defense since then. I don't know for sure, but is this guy going to be able to exploit that and take Connor down at will? Or is Connor one of those guys to where you think can adapt and, and, and fight with a good wrestler now? Uh, well, I think he'll absolutely take Connor down, but Khabib's problem is, you know, he kind of leaves himself open and he, and he gets blinders on it and keeps trying to get the takedown without strategically coming in and, and you know i think he gets hit a lot more than he needs to to try and get the takedown so you know that's one avenue where connor could really um capitalize and and catch him coming in trying trying to get that takedown and, and connor hits hard for a little guy and and you know khabib has a, a hard head and doesn't get knocked out very easy but you know uh, it, it changes things when when you get hit a little bit harder you know, and, and in the right spot. So, uh, you know, Connor isn't going to not have a chance at all. You know, he definitely has a chance. He moves really well, and, and uh, Khabib would just need to get him down, which, you know, might not be that easy. But Khabib is a, a pretty decent wrestler, not a, a top wrestler from Russia, but, you know, you know, Russia has pretty good wrestling over there and, and a good pedigree of wrestlers. So I think... uh 
once once he gets a hold of Connor, there's a good chance uh, he'll get on top. So if you were a betting man, and I don't know if you are, but maybe because you've been in Vegas so many times, would you bet that Khabib wins the fight, which just straight up wins the fight, whether it's a, a draw or a knockout or a stoppage or a, or a submission or whatever, your your money goes on Khabib right now? Yeah, for sure. If I had if I had to bet, it would for sure be on Khabib. Really? Now, going back a couple weeks, were you surprised at the outcome of the Dillashaw um, no love the Cody Garbrandt fight. Um, it was down in Anaheim. It was part two. The first one was lots of smack talk and lots of hatred. The whole story of TJ leaving the 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 ultimate or the uh, team Alpha Male gym in Sacramento with Uriah Faber and going to to fight at another gym. Um, they were both coaches on the Ultimate Fighter TV show on Fox. There was a lot of uh, I don't know if it was fake or real. It seemed really real on their animosity towards one another. Um, the first fight. You know, some people said they stopped it too early. I don't think they did. I think that he had Cody and that it was over. I know Cody knocked him down. I didn't. I thought the stoppage was fair. TJ comes out with the belt still. They get a rematch. They go to Anaheim. And then it was just short work. Were you surprised at that? I was a little surprised myself, but I want to get your opinion on that. Well, I thought, I, th- I just think TJ is the better fighter all the way around. Um, and, you know, I think he even played into Cody's game a little bit by standing there and brawling a little too much, you know, TJ's good and quick on the outside, you know, but yeah, I guess I wasn't surprised. Not one bit, huh? No. And were you surprised that like a week before that, a couple weeks before that at our, our our buddy, Chad Mendez his return to the ring in Boise. He, uh, he's, he's fighting is the guy he was fighting from down here somewhere. Wasn't he was miles Jerry from Southern Uh, California. He he lives, he trains in San Diego. Now Uh, he's from Michigan though, I believe. Were you surprised? I mean, ring rust, right? Chad has been out for 18 months or whatever. I was down in Argentina. We were watching the fight. We had to get, we had to pull some strings to even get the Fox fight that night. Get it up. We're watching it. And, you know, the first part of the fight, you know, Chad, everybody in, in the, in the house with me in the lodge down there in Argentina is like, man, he doesn't look right. He doesn't look good. He's, you know, he's, he's rusty. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's just filling this guy out. He hasn't been in a real fight in a long time. He's been sparring. He's had a lot of people coming at him as far as like sparring partners and training partners down in Sacramento. But w- with that long of a layoff and you get into that environment and you're in the octagon again for reals, it's for keeps now. Is there is there apprehension in you to throw that first punch? Are you looking for the right time? What goes through a fighter's mind? Like when Mendez was, he was kind of stalking him down, but that guy had a lot of reach on him. So he could keep Chad at bay with his jabs. And Chad's little. Chad's a really little, uh, he's built like compact, but he's probably maybe five four five five, maybe a little taller. I don't know. But he hit him with that left hook and ended it quick. But what was going on in the first three minutes of that fight, you thought? Well, I think uh, the layoff, it, it, I think it all depends on, how are you trying to get in there to get back in there? If if you fight in training, like pretty, pretty good fighting and, and uh, pretty, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, you know, if, if you're almost like you're in a fight in training, your, your ring rust isn't going to be there. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I've had long layoffs as well and, and been in there and, and been just fine. I think uh, Miles Jury is a tough dude and, and has a lot of skill. Good on his feet. He's a decent wrestler. Um, you know, I think what he's lacking is power, and, and Chad was a better wrestler as well. But, 
you know, I, I, I was looking forward to that fight just because, uh, it was a different type of test for, for Chad because miles jury is a, a tough dude that, that kind of knows how to wrestle and he's good in his feet as well. But, uh, you know, I, I still thought nine times out of 10, Chad could beat him. In, in that weight group, um, in that weight division that Mendez is in right now, it, do you see, and I know you, you have your favorites. You might be neutral in a lot of the weight in the weight classes, but do you pay attention to the smaller fighters? I mean, with your gym and the fighters that you have coming up, do you, do you pay attention and have a radar on what's going on in all of the weight classes? Or do you just really pay attention to where you fought from one seventies to 85s, the two Oh fives and heavyweights, or are you really, uh, you know, more diverse when it comes to all of the different weight classes? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I pay that much attention to any of the weight classes like I used to when I was competing and, and a little bit more active in in the sport. And at the same time, they also have a lot more shows now. It's harder to keep up on. But, you know, I I, I do keep track of uh, most of the guys, most of the weight classes, probably a little bit more in, in heavyweight and light heavyweight and middleweight as well. But you know, I can't even keep track of what's going on in, in some of these weight classes sometimes with all the interim belts that they have. And, and, you know, I don't even know who's champ because of the, you know, the interim belts that they've been having way too many of. Do you, th- where I was going with it, Dan, is, is Mendez one of those guys that could be a UFC champion and be a legit champion with his wrestling background, his power in his hands and his boxing, his stamina, his toughness. I know he got knocked out by a left by McGregor taking that fight on 10 days three or four years ago. And um, before that, he was just making him eat his elbows. I mean, he had McGregor down and was just beating the piss out of him. I think that with a, a, a full training camp, I think Mendez had that fight. Don't know for sure. Never do. But to me, Mendez seems like the complete package at that weight. And do you, as a fighter and a fight fan now, do you, and as a coach also, do you see him being a legit champion in the UFC someday? Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt I felt the same way that, you know, I was kind of bummed that he even accepted that fight on short notice because with his style and how he would have had to fight that fight, it, it takes a little bit more energy to to wrestle and take a guy down and, and keep him down and do it again every round if you have to than it does to, to kind of dance around and, and throw jabs and, and, and try to knock guy out. It's you know, when you add the wrestling and the scrambling around uh to it, it, it takes a lot more energy and I knew uh Chad might be a little bit out of shape coming in to a fight on short notice like that. Well they say he was drinking a beer on a boat in the ocean fishing for tuna ten days before he got the phone call. So, I mean, Uriah told me the story and I mean, 10 days to get ready for a fight with who, you know, arguably right now is the most popular fighter in the UFC or one of them. And one of the most touted, obviously, with what, with the money that Dana and the organizations puts behind promoting Conor McGregor. And I would never take anything away from McGregor. I think he's a great fighter. He never, he, he seems like he doesn't back down. Um, He knows how to sell a fight, even though you and I don't see eye to eye. I mean, we see eye to eye on some of the things he does isn't right or ethical, um, I, I think that Mendez wins that fight. I truly do. I think that Mendez tears him up that night. Those elbows that he was hitting him with in the first round were so vicious. I, I could, could have seen maybe the fight even being called then. I thought that if he would have had another 30 seconds, it could have been over in that first round, but you're right. He gassed. And that shows you that to do what these guys do and what you do, 
we talk about it all the time. You can look good throwing hands. You can look good taking a guy down in practice and sprawling and, and doing high crotches and double legs and all that. But when you get hit, whether it's in the gut or in the ribs or in the face, in the head, it changes everything. And you still, I mean, it gets you tired and, and a lot quicker, right? So when he got hit by McGregor, it takes him out of his game plan. Plus on top of that, he's out, he's not in his ultimate fighting shape at that time. So as a fi- fighter, is it true that you, once you get hit, that really shows a, a fighter's stamina because it's, it's unlike anything else once you start getting battered around? Uh, I don't know. I think it's all how, how comfortable you are in that certain situation. If you're more comfortable and relaxed with, when the guys, when you're up on your feet, just sparring back and forth uh, in a fight, then you're not going to get that tired. If you're not comfortable in that certain situation, that's when you start getting a lot more tired because you're not, you know, you're not as relaxed and, and you're more tensed up and, and uh, you don't, you definitely gas a lot more when you're not comfortable that. And when there's a lot more action, but uh, you know, I, when Chad took him down the first time and then I think Connor got back up after a minute or two, you know, I just saw that uh, Chad taking a couple of big deep breaths and I was like, Oh man, he's already gassed, you know? And, and uh, once that happens, it, it was, it was kind of downhill after that. In your fight career, Hendo, did you ever, were you ever in that situation? Did you take fights on short notice? And were, did you ever find yourself breathing through your mouth that fast, you know, trying to get those deep breaths in where usually what you're saying, relaxing, keeping your muscles relaxed, breathing in through your nose and practicing your nasal breathing and, and getting your lungs full of air and, and, and all that. Did you ever find yourself in a panic situation? I know you never ran. I know you know, you weren't that kind of guy, but there's always that flight or, or that fight or flight kind of feeling when you're out of breath. Did you ever find yourself doing that? Or were you always in tip top shape for all of your fights? Uh, when I was fighting in pride, I was in pretty good shape most of the time. Cause they would, they would call, they, they were known for their last minute call ups to, to, you know, I took plenty of fights on two weeks notice, a couple on one week notice, 10 days fight with big Nogara, you know, on, on, I think, eight to 10 days notice. And he was the heavyweight champ at the time. And, and, you know, 40 pounds heavier than me. And, and I got a little tired. I think the fight lasted about 18 minutes, you know, 10 minute first round. Then after the second round, uh, coming back into that third round, I was a little bit, a little bit worn out, you know, but that was a fun fight for me. But at the same time, you know, another two weeks training, knowing that I was going to be fighting a, a bigger, heavier guy, I think uh, I would have absolutely won that fight. I yeah. beat him the first time I fought him when I was in shape, but, you know, conditioning makes a big difference in a fight. So your gym here now, um, I assume that you your mentality or your mental approach with these fighters to get them mentally ready, that obviously toughness is important fight skills and wrestling skills is important, but is a, is conditioning first and foremost right now, as far as a fighter goes, if you can't get yourself in shape, you, you, it's almost like you have no chance of winning a fight. It seems like, unless you do some dirty boxing and catch a guy. Yeah. You know, I think I don't, I don't stand over these guys and make them get in shape. You know, my fighters, I, you know, we, we have our, our team practice once a day and, they're supposed to go out and do their cross training on their own. They're supposed to come to, to the other classes to learn more technique. Uh, 
drill their technique a lot more. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes uh, we do have second practice as well during the day that, that they, they train with our amateur team as well. But I don't stand over top of them and make them do it. If if you're not disciplined enough to, to go out and, and get your cross training in so you can be in shape, then yeah, I feel like uh, you shouldn't be doing this if, if you're not wanting to, to, you know, give up certain things in life to, to make those sacrifices to, to become a champ someday. You know, I'm not going to waste my time. Most of the guys that I have in here do pretty good with uh, getting in shape and making sure that uh, they spend the time in the different things they need to. And I, I love uh, spending extra time with them, showing them what they did wrong all the time. And, and uh, you know, that's the part of coaching that I enjoy. So when you start talking about being in shape and you use that example of pride where they were known or notorious for a one week call up, you know, Hey, we need you to fight in a week. Does that change your approach in life as far as eating and nutrition and drinking some beers or some cocktails or going to a party and staying out all night? Because in the fight game, everything that is important in life uh, or as far as being a good fighter you have to have all of those together on that on those nights that you get called up in boxing you get six months training camp they don't do that they promote the fight you know you got a fight coming up you might fight twice a year most of the ufc fighters that you know of today are are fighting twice a year uh, on the bigger cards um if back then did you have an entirely different approach to life or did you keep that same approach all the way through your fighting career to where it didn't matter if you knew you were only going to fight once every six months, you knew you had to be disciplined all the way every day of the year, or you, could you go out and mess around a little bit? No, I'd go out and mess around, but typically, you know, when I do get the chance to, to have a bigger notice before fights, I, I always cut my drinking out and partying out two months before and, and, was pretty disciplined with my diet during that two months. Um, you know, in the instances where you don't really have that option, a two week, two week notice to a fight, you know, you, you cut out all your stuff then and, and make sure you're getting your rest and getting your training and cross training. And, you know, it's a little bit more intense for that portion of the, uh, you know, to try and get in a little better shape last minute, you know, but I, during the, the middle of my fight career when I was fighting in pride where, you know, I typically stayed in really good shape most of the time. And, and that, that comes from wrestling too. I, I grew up wrestling and we had tournaments year round, you know, you knew when they were ahead of time, but we would uh, definitely be in shape year round and just, just training to maintain what you have and lifting weights to maintain what you have and, and not really peaking until you have your bigger tournaments. And, and that's kind of, uh, the, the mentality that I brought over to the, my MMA career. I would, when I have a, enough notice for a fight, I would, I would train to peak at the right time. If you don't have that option. Then, you know, hopefully you're mentally tough enough to say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. And now that you are, you're officially retired and you're not fighting anymore. You're, mentality stays the same or now in life does it become do you have that attitude like man i worked out and stayed disciplined my the first 
25, 30 year fight career, whether that includes your wrestling. I mean, your wrestling career, you started wrestling when you're five or six, you're now 45, 46 years old. You've been in the fight game for 40 years. Is it now time to where you don't give a shit and you just sprawl out on the back porch with some beers and the Traeger going, or are you still, is it hard for a guy like you? You have so much pride and so much, uh, I guess the word would be vanity you're used to looking good. You always have been in shape. You're a fighter. You're a warrior. Does it, is it hard now to get in the gym and stay in shape? Or do you just, do you, do you stay 100% committed to it? Or do you kind of have that mentality? Like, you know what? I deserve a break for a while. No, I definitely have been taking a break since I retired. I've been getting a little bit chubby and, and testing out my Traeger quite a bit to, to come up with new, uh, better ways to cook a tri-tip. But, you know, I think, um, I'm at the point right now where I'm I'm tired of my my shorts being a little too tight and I don't want to go out and buy a different size so I'm I'm starting to get myself back in shape a little bit you know not to to look better in a bathing suit just so it fits better and feels better when I wear it yeah, and health and, you know, being around with your kids and right. all of that stuff's important. And your wife is, you're out kicking your punk coverage with how beautiful she is. So, I mean, <laughs> you got to stay in somewhat of shape. I mean, you can't land the H-bomb on every guy that flirts with her. So, I mean, you got to make sure that you can keep her with the way you look, right? I mean, or is it something to where you have no vanity at all? No, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't really have much vanity. I, I don't, my wife uh, gets on me for not caring what, what I'm wearing and you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm comfortable with myself and I'm going to be myself and be comfortable. And, and, uh, you know, I know she's kind of hot, but kinda, I think, uh, you know, I I still have the reputation that guys don't want to mess with her because (laughs) of me, but you know, hopefully that stays that way. I guarantee it does. Um, another fight coming up that I wanted to get your opinion on because um, you, you, we talked about in our last conversation on, on this podcast a few months ago about the way the Diaz brothers have promoted themselves as, uh, the marijuana, the, the, the West coast flavor, the, the, I don't know what, like the bad boy image they always have. They don't shy away from it. They drop F bombs in every interview they do. They flip people off, but they are badasses. They stay in shape. They do triathlons. Nate, Nick Diaz is, was in some freaking brawls in the UFC. Nate Diaz has been, he's a, he's, he can sell a fight. He's a shit talker. He can back it up. He does the Stockton slap. I mean, he's got a lot going on. He's got this fight coming up with Dustin Poirier. Poirier. Um, do you have uh, enough knowledge of both of those fighters to, to tell me if you were a betting man, who you would take in that fight with, with that coming up at Madison square gardens? You know, that, that, that one's a tougher fight. I mean, I think, uh, Poirier definitely has more power. He's quicker. Diaz has a little bit longer reach. He's, you know, he's, uh, good on his feet as well. Very good on the ground. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to call. I think. I think if I had to place a bet on somebody, it might be Poirier, but I don't know. I mean, you never count out the Diaz brothers. Does Poirier have a wrestling background? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but he's definitely has a lot more power on his feet and he's, he's good on the ground. I don't think, uh, Diaz will catch him in a submission or anything. Once they go to the ground, I think Poirier has been around a long time and he's well-rounded. I just think that, uh, because of the power issue, he's, he's going to, you know, and after watching, uh, you know, 
Nate Diaz get knocked around a few times. You know, I, I don't think uh, he has a chin that, that'll hold up very well against Poirier's power. Who did Poirier just beat? Do you remember off the top of your head? I, th- I, f- I feel like he just fought not too long ago. I can't think of it right now. I wish I had uh, our assistant here right now to tell us um, who I'm thinking of. But he he looked good in his last fight. And was that the fight that just had? Did yeah, it just did happen? It happen? Was like, it Jeremy uh, Stevens? No. Was it Jeremy Stevens? Dustin, I'm looking it up real quick. I want to. I want to. Uh, I want to get this out. Uh, so that's it. He just beat Eddie Alvarez. Oh, Eddie Alvarez. And Eddie Alvarez is a freaking war. I mean, that guy's been in some brawls. He didn't look good against McGregor in that fight, but in a lot of fights, he comes in and busts some ass. Um, and and Poirier beat him, so that's that's a big win right there. Yeah, and and Eddie Alvarez is known to have some pretty good hands, not necessarily the power, but uh, he's quick and he's he's hard to hit, and you know, a really good wrestler as well. And as I said, Dustin definitely shows that he has a lot of power, and I think uh, that'll make the difference in the fight with Diaz. And he knocked him out in the right. fourth round or in the. In the uh, second round, four minutes into the second round, Poirier beat uh, Eddie Alvarez by a, a knockout TKO. So, what does that mean? A KO TKO? Is that true? Is that really something? Uh, you know, sometimes a, a knockout is when you straight out knock him out. When the ref has to jump in because you're hurt and you can't defend yourself, is is a TKO? TKO. So, but it still goes down as a knockout. Yeah, it's a technical knockout. Technical knockout. So with with what's going on um, in the in the fight game, there's also a lot of stuff going on in the wrestling game. Do you keep up with with the world with the world championships and and the be, the any of the wrestlers that are strong right now? Go, you know, that are fighting Kyle Snyder. Uh, uh, a Joel- little bit, not nearly as much as I, I used to, or not nearly as much as I should. Yeah, I definitely um, watch Olympics and and you know, but we've got the world championships that are getting ready to to come on pretty soon. So, you know, that those are things that I will definitely be paying attention to, but, uh, you know, I don't necessarily watch everything and keep up like I, like I used to. So if I asked you like Jordan Burroughs, um, who's the magic man, David Taylor from, from Penn state. That's just on fire. He just pinned him, pinned his way through that last tournament. Um, Jordan Burroughs, Kyle Snyder, um, do any of these guys transition into a MMA career after they're done in, with their world wrestling and their and their uh, you know representing the United States in the Olympics coming up in 2020 things like of that nature? Do you see any of them, or do you even pay enough attention to know that if any of them are going to turn this into a UFC career? Yeah, I don't know uh, any of them personally, but they all definitely could if they wanted to have a pretty good MMA career. I think. Uh, how that career goes depends on mentally how they are. It's a little different when, you know, it, they're, they're probably all mentally tough to be at the top of your wrestling game. But, you know, when you start adding the, the, the punches in there and, and the fear of getting punched sometimes uh, is worse than actually getting punched. And, and if you can't grasp and, and, and deal with that mentally, then, you know, you're not going to do well in MMA. Once you figure out that it's really not that big of a deal and not that big of a difference, 
between a hard wrestling, like a grinding wrestling match and an MMA fight, you know, you get beat up, you get your head gets beat up and, and banging heads against each other in wrestling and your face gets beat up from the other guy's head quite often. And it's really not that much different than an MMA fight. They can just punch you, but typically you can see those coming and, and try not to get hit at the same time. But, you know, it, it all depends on mentally how well they can deal with the thought of getting hit. So in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you, if you follow the, some of these wrestlers I'm talking about, but with the McGregor Khabib fight coming up, there was a rumor going around that Jordan Burroughs was in McGregor's training camp, helping him with his wrestling because right. of his, of his experience, because of Jordan's experience going again, up against Russian wrestlers. They and came th- out and I think Burroughs came out and said, no, that's not true. And then I saw another message saying from Kyle Snyder saying that if McGregor needs some help, he's more than happy to help him, you know, get ready for a, a, a top tier Russian wrestler. To me, that seems like a good idea for the McGregor camp to take serious. Like we have some legit wrestlers in America right now that are representing us in these world championships and the beat on the streets and in the, in some of these tournaments that are happening, you know, it's just, it, to me, it's cool to see all these tournaments popping up for these guys to compete in. I don't know how it was back when you were a, you know, a college wrestler and an Olympic wrestler representing the United States, but it seems to me they're getting a lot of reps right now. And uh, what David Taylor just did, I know Kyle took second or third over in the last tournament. I know Burroughs took second or third on a, on a, a, a weird, uh, it was weird how it went down um, on the technical decision that he got against him. But to me, as far as like a fight coach or a fight camp, getting ready to go up against Khabib, who's a a pretty, you say a solid wrestler. And I don't ever see, I've never really seen Connor shoot in on somebody and try to take him down or really been able to defend a takedown. Um, he, I, I take that back. I've seen him defend some takedowns. Against Nate Diaz, he defended a lot, but Nate Diaz doesn't know how to take anybody down very well. He doesn't. I think to, to go with what you were saying as his, director of a fight camp, I think it would be the best thing to, to bring in a, a top wrestler and maybe a couple other mediocre wrestlers around his weight, all of them around his weight class though, and all of them training with him and trying to take him down. And he just needs to work on defending takedowns while he's got the big gloves on. He needs to go and try to knock their head off while they try and take him down. I think that would be something that, that, he should do most of the training camp. Obviously, still still continue to do the stuff that he needs to do to, to stay sharp with his hands and, and uh, you know defend certain submissions, but and get up off the ground and knowing that you're going to get on the ground, work on getting up as well. Will they? Will that fight with Khabib be at 155s or 170s? Do you know? Uh, I believe 155. Okay, so you're a hundred. You're going to wrestle at 155, or you're going to fight in the UFC at 155 pounds. Is McGregor walking around at 170 this far out with that fight being over 45 days away? Is he 10 pounds or 20 pounds heavier than he'll fight out 15? Probably 15, 20 pounds. Okay, heavier. so he's walking around 175. How big of a wrestler do you bring in? Do you bring a Kyle Snyder in that weighs 220 pounds? No. You bring somebody quicker and and you got to bring. He's got to bring somebody in around his size that that can compete with him. You know, within. 10 pounds. So that would be like a Jordan Burroughs or a Jaden Cox. Maybe Jaden Cox is what he's 89 kilograms. So he's, he's one, he's bigger, probably one eighty nines or something like that. 
Yeah, you want to get somebody in the in the the one sixty one seventy range, and, and and then like I said, one or two other wrestlers that are mediocre, good solid college wrestlers that that'll, you know, let you try to hit them while they t- try to take you down. And with the news that have come out lately, with GSP comes out and says that he wants the winner of this fight for the title. Um, the last time he fought was Bisbing, beat him, gave the belt away a couple days later, turned it back in. Um, now he's saying he wants the winner of Khabib McGregor at 155s. Um, his last fight, I believe, was at 185. What was was 185 would have been Bisbing, right? So he, from what I hear, he had to just bulk up for that fight and eat six, seven meals a day, gain a bunch of weight. But I heard he's a lot leaner now, walking around at like 170s. He can get to 155s. Does GSP smoke both of those guys with what you know about GSP's wrestling takedown defense hands submission uh, game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that GSP would be able to make 155. I- you know, I think he was always fairly big and heavy for 170. And, uh, you know, for him to make 155 might be a stretch. And, and, you know, it takes a lot out of you physically when you're cutting that much weight. And it doesn't matter how good you are at that point. If, if your body isn't, uh, isn't there for you, it doesn't matter what your experience level is or what you know. So, I mean, I would think that might not be the best decision for him to try to do that. I don't know what he's at normal natural body weight right now, but I think when he was fighting at 170, he was in the 190, 195 range pretty steadily. The other rumor that I've heard, or maybe I don't know if it's a rumor, just something being discussed on that Madison Square Garden card coming up that Nate Diaz is on with Portier is that they're touting that and promoting that as a co-main event with no main event scheduled or announced yet. Um, I've heard people in the in the media say that Dana White <clears throat> is working on something, that they're trying to put something together. And then the name John Jones has been thrown around, which I thought that he was out for an extended period of time. I know that his case is coming up and they're going to decide on that. With what John Jones did the last time against Cormier and testing positive again, would, wouldn't this seem like, wouldn't this year in 2018 seem like really weird that he'd get to come back and fight that soon yeah I, don't, I wouldn't see that that would be fair or anything um why even have usada and the drug testing thing go on in the first place if you're not gonna uphold the certain decisions of it and and guidelines of it you know he it wasn't his first time testing positive his second time it should have been an automatic four-year suspension and they they took forever to you know, I don't even think I, we've ever heard of a, a sentencing yet, but he, it's been at least a year and a half, I think, since he's fought. At, at least a year. I don't. I don't know when his last fight was. When? When? Yeah, they said that they season. said the summer of 2019 would be his two-year return if he got the two-year sentence. And and two years would be lightly. You know, a light that that should that's typically uh, a year and a half. The two years is is first offense. First offense. And that wasn't his first offense. When you, when you talk about, you know, John Jones, his, he's had a pretty good career. He's been, we both talked last time about, he doesn't need to do that shit. He's pretty talented. He's very talented. He's made good fighters look really, really dumb. And he, he has one fight, which was a disqualification for bat for illegal elbows against Matt, um, Hardy heart. No, what was his name? I can't think of it right now. The guy from Hamill. Hamill. I love that guy. Um, 
he's fought Cormier twice. He's he Cormier is at heavyweight. He just beat. Were you surprised on that fight? That dirty boxing. What I, I didn't like. I didn't like the game plan. I didn't like uh, what yeah, they were doing. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I was very surprised at how that fight ended. I thought if DC was going to win, he'd have to take him down every round and smother him and try to wear him out on top. And DC's great at that, but didn't even try that once and stood there and, and tried to trade with him inside, you know, and, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Stipe just, he didn't, he didn't move and look like he's normal self, but at the same time, you know, who knows as, as to why maybe, DC was smothering him a little bit too much, but yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I I did not expect that ending at all. You know, hap, happy for DC. He's a wrestler. They're both wrestlers, but DC is. Uh, you know, I, I didn't expect his hands to win that one. I felt the exact same, and with the way Stipe represents himself, the UFC, his family, his job as a firefighter, seems like a pretty good guy. Don't know him, never met him, but he seems, and I think I've even heard you say you like the way that he represents himself. Yeah, absolutely. And I've met him a couple of times. He's a great guy. And, and uh, you know, I thought he represented the sport, the belt, the UFC in, in the best way and the way a champ should. And, uh, yeah, for me, I feel like he should have got an immediate title shot. I was just going to ask you that. Does he, why has he not just been, it's already touted. Like, why haven't they already announced automatic rematch for what the guy accomplished well, as a heavyweight? They announced right away that Brock, Brock Lesnar was in there, which I think disrespected the sport and made the UFC not look so good that night when they did that. You know, it, it just kind of makes them, puts them down at the level of WWE when they, they, they act like WWE. They're they're not promoting that, and Brock should not get a title title shot at all. He hasn't been in the fight game for two years again, if not longer. And he tested positive his last fight, and and barely squeaked out a decision against uh, uh, the 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 Samoan Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt, you know that you know was was a good decision, but at the same time, all he did was take him down, and all all he did was what he had to do. And then he tested positive in that fight as well. So what I saw that night, Hendo, was he, they're in a title fight. Cormier always seems to be, he talks some smack, but he always seems to be a, a, a pretty good representation of the USC. He has a wrestling background. He knows how to get away, around in a fight as well as the media and the, uh, the, 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 you know, building up to the fight. He gets interviewed. Rogan interviews him. They don't even talk to Stipe, which I, is that respect to Stipe as the, the heavyweight champion that just got knocked out? You don't want to go put a camera and a microphone in his face right away. Instead, they got Brock waiting in the wings to create like this controversy and this drama. He comes into the ring and actually puts his hands on Daniel Cormier and pushes him with a double handed chest shove. Is that disrespect to Stipe or should they have talked to him first before bringing on this whole new? And it's like, hey, Brock's back. Stipe, you're gone. Go back to Cleveland and go fight a fire. It just seemed weird to me. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent that, you know, almost always in, in main event, not just a, a title fight, but main events, they'll talk to the winner and loser, uh, you know, most of the time, not always. But especially after a title fight, everybody wants to hear, uh, you know, from the loser as well, or the the champ that was just champ and and now he's not. What happened? You know what? You know why do you think uh, you you didn't do as well as you thought? Type of thing, and and for them just to throw the uh, the circus act on before that was was a little disrespectful to Stipe. Yeah. What happens if you're 
if you personally are Daniel Cormier that night, do does he know that's going to go down after the fight? Is this something to where he, yeah, know- he knew they they both probably knew that that was going to happen. The winner was going to fight uh, Brock. against Brock. So you know when you're got the microphone in your face, Rogan's asking you questions. You're Cormier. Would you agree to this? Do you have to agree to that? To as whoever wins, you know that you're going to have a confrontation in the ring with Brock that night to start building the next fight right away. Uh, you don't have to play into it, but you know if they're going if they decide to do it, you you kind of just you get extra money or, for that. No, no extra money. It's all up to you. You know, but he didn't have to play into it like he did. But yeah, it was, it was said, yeah, I'm sure that it was said that Brock is going to be coming in. He's going to get on the mic and and that's the next matchup. So does it show, does it show good business sense by the UFC ownership and and management to tout Brock Lesnar as the next opponent of the heavyweight champion of the world? Because they know pay-per-view is going to sell with what he did at UFC 100, UFC 200. He brings over that Vince McMahon WWE crowd with him. Or does it show a weakness in the UFC heavyweight division that they really don't have anybody to even put up against uh, Cormier, except maybe a Stipe rematch, which they kind of, in my opinion, just looked right over right after the fight was done? Well, I think uh, the new owners and, and, yeah, I don't know if this would have happened with the old ownership. Uh, You know, I think the new owners are under um, probably quite a bit of pressure, I'd imagine, financially to make make their bills every month to to make to to pay for their 4.2 billion dollars they they had to borrow to to make the deal happen so i'd imagine that that money is a big part of their decision and you know in their mind that's probably a, a big payday and where where is does it stop though like why is the pool of UFC heavyweights. I've heard a few people say that it's kind of the weakest in the history of the organization. Is that, is that fair to say? No, I mean, it's, you know, heavyweights are, are, have come and gone and, and every weight class has been, you know, kind of lighter or weaker or or not as deep in, in the pool that to draw from, uh, over the years. You know, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, it's as weak as it's ever been. I think, uh, you know the the bout that was before them with the two big heavyweights uh, didn't help the matter with, with talking crap about the heavyweights. That was one of the more boringest fights uh, most people have ever seen, and especially from two guys that are known for knocking people out to come in there and and just respect each other too much and and lull the crowd to sleep. That was uh, Nagawa, whatever. What he Nagawa. did to Overeem was like one of the. It has to be one of the hardest punches I've ever seen landed. I mean, that punch he hit him with looked like he just broke his neck. Right. And, and then they come in there, and it's like he went against Stipe the next time, and everybody thought for sure he was going to smoke Stipe. Stipe pulled it out. And then that I agree, that fight was just kind of so boring to watch. It was the UFC had to be just disappointed. I, I, I guarantee you somebody with Dana's personality was not happy about that. No, not at all. And, you know, and I think that that adds to the the – conversation of of the heavyweight pool being a little bit weak right now and and you know there's a lot of heavyweights out there and and you know there's some tough guys out there but you know depending on uh i think stipe definitely should have got that rematch though right away 
when when back to Cormier for a second, Hendo, financially it might make sense to entertain another fight with Jones. Does he go back to 205s? Can he get back to light heavyweights with the way he looked in that fight? He's probably disciplined enough to get it, but man, he's looked like he's a 240-pound fighter for sure now. Um, and if there is really a such thing as Cormier Jones three, does Jones come up to heavyweight because he wants to prove to the world that he can beat Cormier without testing positive again? How does that all play out? And do you think that Cormier should even mess with it, except maybe on a financial note of, of, of making a pretty good nest egg for him and his family? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, Cormier, I, I think he's, he's on his way out. I think, uh, he might be thinking that I'm going to fight Brock. I'm going to get a big payday and, and then I'm done. I've got two belts, you know, one, one legitimately and, and, and the light heavy one weight one, he, he got given back after Jones tested positive. So yeah, I think that that's a black mark in his mind that, that he's not happy with. So, you know, maybe because of that, he'll, he'll go back down to two Oh five and fight Jones. I think if he does fight him, it would probably be at, at light heavyweight because he wants to legitimately win that belt. Can he beat Jones? I don't know. I mean, in the last fight, it didn't look like uh, he he would do very well. I, I just think that uh, he's gotten so far away from his strength of, of adding his wrestling to, to his toolbox that, that he kind of gave up on even trying to wrestle sometimes. And, and against somebody like Jones, he needs to take him down, wear him down, beat him up and beat him up and do it again. And, and Jones is no slouch when it comes to takedown defense or wrestling either. Right? No, not at all. But you know, uh, DC is one of the best, uh, MMA guys, one of the best wrestlers in MMA today. And he just doesn't use it. And even against somebody like Jones, it doesn't matter. I think, uh, as long as you're training to, to get those takedowns and, and set them up the right way, not just focus on the takedowns, but focus on your striking to set up your takedowns, it'll happen a lot easier. So speaking of wrestling and takedowns, were you surprised at all of the Mighty Mouse Cahuto fight? Henry Cejudo, or however you pronounce his name. Cejudo. Cejudo, Olympic gold medalist wrestler. Um, Mighty Mouse had 12 in a row or something. He almost looks unbeatable, and every time he fights... They go to a split decision. Henry wins it. Were you surprised at, at, at the action in that fight? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised that Cejudo beat him, uh, you know, especially because they fought before and, and it didn't didn't seem that close. It seemed like Cejudo had a lot to learn in the sport and to be well-rounded and, and for him to, you know, beat, beat a guy like uh, Mighty Mouse, I think it, it definitely showed a lot of, I guess, uh, improvement and, and a lot of will to make sure that you change and, and learn from those mistakes. So, you know, it was, uh, definitely good to see that another wrestler gets a belt. Could Cejudo go up a weight division and, and, and compete with TJ Dillashaw? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, Cejudo is definitely the better wrestler there, but, uh, you know, Dillashaw is just, he moves really well and, and, uh, can defend a takedown pretty well. Some of the best fighting technique on your feet on, on, on a, on a fighter's feet that I remember seeing in the UFC was Dillashaw against, was it Barrera? 
on the on the it was the the Brazilian that he fought once or twice. He just that guy was so good against most of his his opponents going into those fights with Dillashaw and TJ. Just do you remember the fights I'm talking about with the way he moved and, and the punches he was landing on that guy? Yeah, absolutely. Brown. Brown yeah. is that was that his name? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, it was. Uh, you know, and he's a tough Brazilian fighter that that TJ moved really well. And uh, you know, I think. In general, I I think TJ moves really well in his fights. But, but but when Cody fought Dominic Hendo, didn't it seem like that Cody had that fluency when he moved and and how how just he was crisp? And I mean, he was punching him and doing like Michael Jackson dances after he would knock down Dominic Cruz. And Dominic Cruz is a freaking stud. I mean, to me, like he has not gotten back to that form. It's like TJ takes everything away from him. Is he intimidated? Is he scared? Was he? Did he talk so much smack? And he just knows he can't beat Dillashaw before he even gets in the octagon. I, I just think styles make fights, and and you know TJ brings more to the game than just movement and striking. You know he can take you down. He can defend takedowns really well. Dominic moves really well and hits you and gets out of the way really well, but. You're never worried about Dominic taking you down that often, even though he does sometimes, but you know, not, I don't know. If, if I was, if I was uh Cody, I would have been more focused on just cutting him off and trying to land those power shots occasionally and, and walking through his, his, his shots and, and try to land a, a bigger one. And I think that's what he did. And that's why he ended up knocking him down a couple of times. So if they fought today, could Dillashaw destroy Dominic, or do you think Dominic's in the fight? I think Dominic's in any fight with, with those guys. He moves well, and he can pick you apart and get out the way. You know, as I said, and, and you know, at the same time, I just think that uh, you know, Cody was landing, trying to land those power shots, and, and TJ's style isn't necessarily to land those power shots; it's to pick you apart as well, and. and you know, I think Dominic's kind of the same type of style. TJ, I think, uses wrestling a little bit more than Dominic does. But, uh, you know, they're very similar in that way. But, you know, I think uh, Cody tries to land that power quite a bit more and, and timed him well and, 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 and caught Dominic. You know, I think that made the difference in, in those, those two different matchups. Are you friends with Chuck Liddell? Uh, kind of just respected peers that come up. Yeah. And, and we see each other here and there and, and yeah. We is both he, is he fighting again? Is he going to fight, uh, Tito? Uh, that's the, the, the word on the street and, and the word everywhere. I think, uh, you know, the fight's supposedly definitely going to happen, but you know, it's one of those things where, where two retired guys that, uh, they, they match them up. So we'll see if it happens actually. Would it be a Bellator deal? No, this is a, a, a De, La, De La Hoya's promotion. You know, he's he's trying his hand in MMA. He has a card. He has he has a promotion going on right now. Like they have it in stone, the location and everything. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be. A, a, you know, there's probably a good chance he's going to probably try to put it in in Vegas or LA. I don't know. So Dana White went into De La Hoya's territory with the Mayweather deal. I remember there was some controversy there where Oscar wanted one of his fighters to fight to fight um to fight McGregor, but he ended up going against Mayweather 
So now is De La Hoya trying to go against the UFC or is he trying to build a promotion up enough to get the UFC's attention to buy it? Is it a business move by De La Hoya? No, I don't know. I think uh, the whole boxing world, uh, you know, has kind of been hurt by the sport of MMA and, and, you know, De La Hoya having a promotion company already in boxing, it it would make sense to to also do MMA. Maybe not all the time, but, uh, I'm sure he, he might consider doing, you know, a few short, few shows a year. Chuck Liddell's got to be, is he 45? No, he's, he's a little bit older than me. I'm, I'm turning 48 this month. And, so you don't, you don't sit down Chuck Liddell and say, what in the freak are you thinking of even you're almost 50 years old. I know that Couture was, Couture was 45. I don't remember how old he was. Ran. He was close to 50 when he retired, maybe even older. I don't know. I don't remember. So Chuck hasn't been in, in a fight, and, and he's one of my favorite fighters of all time. I love the Iceman. I loved watching him back in the day. I think that he was a, a great thing for, for, you know, how big the UFC is now, just like you are. Is he nuts for getting in there against Tito? Is it even worth it? Does he have to prove himself, or is just just another payday, too, for him and his family's nest egg? I think a little bit of both. I think Chuck always has a chance of beating you, and, and he's beat Tito twice. And so why does he need to do it again? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, they probably offered him money. And I think even before this thing, he was considering coming back and, and talking to Bellator uh, about a possibility of coming back. I just don't think they were offering him the money that he was looking for. Did you ever fight Chuck? No, I never fought Chuck. Was it ever even in the, was it even in the books? Either one of those guys? Uh, there was a chance that I would have fought Chuck. Um, when, when he fought Rampage, I was slated to fight the winner. And, and you fought Rampage in Rampage. Pride and UFC, didn't you? I never fought Rampage in Pride, just the UFC. Were you, would you ever be afraid of somebody? As far as the the way Rampage was in the UFC, was he always like that in Pride too? Did he have the big chain around his neck and try to just intimidate people with the Mr. T kind of mystique from the A-team? Yeah, that's where he kind of started that was in pride. And, and no, I'll never be afraid of anybody. You've never, ever in your life looked at a fighter across the octagon and went, I'm a dipshit for getting in here tonight. No, not when I'm in that situation. Absolutely not. I might think about it beforehand. And and if that thought crosses my mind, there's probably a good idea that I shouldn't, you know, make a, a fight with him or match a matchup with, with that guy. But I've never really had that. You know, even against Fedor, uh, everybody around me kind of felt that and was nervous about a lot more nervous during that fight than than other fights. And, and you know, I just know what I was capable of. And, and a lot of people uh, don't. And and it worked out for me that night and, and against somebody like Fedor that that's, was kind of had that mystique about uh, being you know, the top guy, top pound for pound fighter and, and ever and the best heavyweight ever. And, you know, he, he's been called a lot of things. And, and yeah, I just felt like, you know, it'd be fun to test myself against him. And it's a good chance that uh, I'll knock the shit out of him. So you've been nervous going into a fight, but you've, you're looking at me right now from across this table and saying you've never been scared or have you even been nervous? You're looking at me like you've never even been nervous. Yeah, I don't know if I've been ner- nervous. It's really not the right word, you know, more excited about getting in there. Finally, I, I'm might've been nervous. My very first fight ever. Um, but that was it. You know, once, once that 
fight night was over. I was, I was good after that. You know, it's not really, like I said, getting hit isn't, isn't that big of a deal. So with these promotions you're putting on, I know you just got your promoter card. You put on fights at your gym here in Temecula, California. You're uh, doing uh, appearances all over the country on the behalf of Monster Energy Drink. You're going to Bellator fights. You're part of the UFC. You just got inducted in the UFC Hall of Fame in their fight wing with the Hua fight. You watch all of these amateurs coming and going in your gym. Oscar De La Hoya comes to Hendo tomorrow and says, I got a fight right now for you. Is, is it even a meeting or are you done? Uh, no, I would take a meeting. I mean, I could be in a, I could, I could definitely be talked into something with the right amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> You're freaking unbelievable. So you would go back in the octagon. What if it was against Chuck Liddell? Would you fight Chuck? Uh, for the right amount of money, I'd fight anybody. Really? Yeah. You would fight anybody right now, but like it didn't take money when you were an up and coming fighter, you were ready to roll for the titles, right? Yeah. I mean, I think money was always an issue as well back then, but you know, it, it, uh, if I wasn't getting paid, I probably wouldn't have done this sport nearly as long. I might've tried it just for fun, but you know, just for fun doesn't pay the bills. Are you friends with Chell Sonnen? Yeah. Do you like Chell? I like him a lot. What is, what is it about Chell that is so gravitating for people? Is it his intelligence? Is it his, his method of speaking? I'm asking this because I've never met him, but I'm real like I'm a big fan of his in a lot of ways, just not his fight career. Probably the least part of him that I'm a fan of was his fighting career because I never really paid attention to it on a, on a level I did yours or Liddell's or Matt Hughes or somebody. But there's something about Liddell or uh, there's something about Sonnen that um, may I know he was talking about running for office at one time, but I'm, he's engaging when he speaks. He's he's a conversationalist. He he he's really smart. It seems like is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I would say he, in that way, for sure, he's smart and, and, uh, you know, he pays attention to what's going on in, in the sport, wrestling, MMA, he, he knows all the up and comers. I think that has a lot to do with him starting a, a promotion a long time ago and, and kind of paying attention to all the, all the different up and comer fighters in the area. And then, you know, going into, uh, the analysis stuff with, for Fox and, and ESPN and ESPN, it, you know, it, it's kind of his job to, to know who's, who's out there and, and who does what, but he, he enjoys knowing what's going on in MMA and uh, wrestling as well. And, and, and he does talk very intelligently and, and, you know, he's an awesome guy. Why, why is he, why do you like him? Why is he an awesome guy? And is it, is it more because he has the, he's smart enough to understand the respect game and fighting and what it takes to do what you did and what he did. So he's got that head start on already knowing how much to show you respect, or is he just a guy that you could sit down and have a cold beer with? And, and as he come across as a down to earth guy, I don't know him again. I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, I've known him for a long time. He was a, a wrestler that, that trained with me and Randy when I was living up in Oregon. And, uh, when Randy and I started and opened our, our first gym team quest and, and, uh, that's where team quest started, started out of Randy and I opened a, a little health club and it was called performance quest. And, and, uh, we started fighting out of that gym and we called it team quest and Chael was, uh, was one of our employees and he was our, our front desk girl and, and would train with us. And, and, you know, we would already had been training with him in Greco Roman wrestling and, and, uh, you know, so that that's kind of the history of that. I think because he's a wrestler, he's been around a long time, you know, he knows 
how to respect people and he also knows how to 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 talk some crap and and draw draw a little bit of attention to things and i think you know he he has a good medium of that and and a lot of times when he does talk crap a lot of people uh know that it's crap because it's so far out there that there's no way that that's true and i, I think he has fun doing that so was he a badass uh he's a he's he's a was a very good wrestler good fighter i don't know if he ever thought of himself as a badass he was a badass to against a lot of people he's a, he's a tough guy that that again when he gets in top tapia he's extremely tough and will wear you out and then on his feet he's very good as well and and uh yeah, I, I, I think he has a good shot against uh, Fedor. It depends on mentally if he shows up knowing that he could win or not. I think a lot of times Chael's wins and losses depend on how well he, he how, what type of confidence he, he has going into that fight. So if you, if you had to pick, and I don't know if you can answer this, but if you had to pick your resume of mixed martial arts friends that you've developed over, and I mean friends, guys that you stay in touch with. I know, you know, everybody, I know that you've shook hands with them all. I know how, what, what they all say about you, but is that Chell and, and Couture and, and this guy is, is there a certain, you have them on your fingers that you can count of your actual friends that you've made that were actual fighters. Yeah. Chell's definitely one of those. And Randy, and for sure. I mean, you know, there's not that many of them that I would consider friends, but definitely Chell. And when, when you talk about his career, is that a satisfying career of what he did or did he retire too early with what he did with Anderson Silva? Um, I don't, I don't know if he really accomplished everything that he was capable of. Is that fair to say? I don't know. You, I'm yeah, asking. you know, Chael's one of those guys that, you know, I think mentally he just would, would have a, have a moment where he, his brain wouldn't work or something where like, with him and Anderson Silva, he's beating Anderson Silva up for four and a half rounds and then gets caught in an, uh, a triangle. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen him do that same thing more than once, more than two, three times. And I think twice for, for a title, one in the WC and one in the UFC, you know? So I think it's just one of those things where Chael just mentally needs to, to stay focused. I don't know if he's ADD or what, but you know, I think, uh, he definitely had a lot of potential and, and I think mentally at the end of towards the end of there, what before he retired the first time or was retired, I should say, uh, you know, he was, he was kind of in it for the money and that's the wrong reason. He's by far my favorite guy to listen to, to talk, you know, when he's on ESPN and back in the Fox days, I, I really like the way he breaks down fighters. I like his insight on things. If you're a businessman like you are, and we're going to talk about your business endeavors before we end this podcast today. And again, thank you very much. But you start a promotional business with Chael Sonnen. Doesn't he seem like the ultimate guy to own a, 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 a maybe not to the extreme of a Don King, but somebody that can get the fight 
the the intelligence of a fight, the right partners in on it, the right sponsors in on it, the right advertisers. He has that business sense, that political sense. He can speak. He's well engaged. Um, is that something to have you ever given any thought to that? Because it seems to me like you and him could could put on, you know, with your business and what you're doing and your entrepreneurial skills. I don't know what he does in his entrepreneurial skills. It seems I know he's still fighting. I know he does a lot of the announcing and the color commentary and the play by play. But he's yeah. had a promotion for, for many years, but it's amateur fights up in, up in Oregon. He, he has them all the time. I think the last time I was up in Portland, I, I went and watched him and, and, uh, he does a good job with it, but he just kind of does that, uh, locally right there in, in, in Portland. And, and, you know, and that's about it as far as, uh, promotions go with him. And, and I think he does pretty well because they're amateur fights. It, it, the, the cost of it is, is, a lot less than a promo- professional event. So, and, and that's kind of what, what I'm doing at the gym now is having uh, an amateur fight night here and there. Our next, our next one is uh, going to be September 29th. I'm coming to that. Is there any room you up? to it? <laughs> um, in your prime, his prime, 185s, do you beat Chelsea on? Well, I'll beat anybody. In my prime, that's that's the the mental attitude you get you gotta have. But you know, I don't know. Chael's wrestlers are uh, against wrestlers. It, it it's a little bit tougher of a fight, you know. Especially for me, and everybody's afraid of getting hit by me, and then they end up trying to take me down the whole time. And it's tough to fight a guy when all he wants to do is take you down. And and when your strength is is to try to knock him out, it, it makes it tougher. So. You know, you never know what could happen in that instance. So today, when you picked me up, you were parked in a a uh, not the where you should have been parked curbside for me to get in the car in the truck, and there was a police officer there that was getting ready to come out. And I saw this and I watched it and he was getting ready to come out and tell you to get your truck out of there. And then you come around the back and it's Dan Henderson. I could tell he was a fight fan and he literally just like, kind of like got in that position of like a Stan Henderson. He wasn't like, you know, giving you, he didn't come up and say, Hey, handle, he didn't bother you. But for sure, if it wasn't you, he was going to have you get in your truck and move your truck. And I'm not saying that people play favorites to you, but I'm going back to the fact of the career that you had and what I, where I was going with that Chell Sonnen deal is that Chell gets it. He's one of those guys that gets it in my opinion. And obviously that's why I asked if you're friends, cause I knew the answer. I knew what he, how he feels about you. Um, it's amazing to me to see the reaction to you though, on such a big scale, no matter where you're at. And I know that San Diego is your home kind of, you know, you live North of there, but I saw it in Vegas, like tenfold of, of shot show guys and people at hard rock casino that night. Is it getting old at all? You go to these promotions, you're with monster, you're signing autographs, you're taking pictures. I know you get paid to do it. I've never seen you say no to anybody to a picture or an autograph when you're not getting paid to do it. What goes through your mind as a person when you're doing that? Is it, is it, is it make you feel like a, a, a career that you, that you put it all together and you still are a man of the people and that they love being around you and they still at 48 years old, you haven't fought in a couple years. They still want to beat down your door, get in line to get your picture and your autograph. Uh, I don't know. I mean, as far as that thought goes, that maybe after a few more years, uh, you know, it'll probably, I'll probably think about it in that way. Uh, but for me, I just, 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm always, and throughout my career, I've always been having the, the mentality that without fans, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have a job. And now I wouldn't have had a job if, if I didn't have fans. And, and I, it's not, you know, I don't know. It doesn't make me feel one way or another. I think I'm just kind of used to it, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to say no to anybody. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm truly happy that, that I have had the, the fight career that I had and, and without the fans, I wouldn't have been paid, you know, to do it without the fans of the sport. We wouldn't have, nobody in the, in the industry would have a job. So, you know, I think for me, I, I respect the fans and, you know, even if they, they don't like me and that they're fans of, of the sport, you know, I respect that as well. Just, uh, you know, I'm just happy to do it no matter what. And, you know, obviously it's nicer to go to events where they pay me to be there to do that. And it, and it puts me out in front of a lot more fans than I normally would be in a normal life. And I think that, you know, that's why they do pay me to do that. But when I'm walking around the grocery store and, you know, I take a few pictures almost every time I go to the store, you know, I got no problem doing that. It doesn't, doesn't make me think, you know, what if you and your wife are having a romantic dinner at a local restaurant of one of your choice places to go in Nashville or San Diego, you're sitting there. It's the two of you might not even be romantic, no candles, nothing, just a little hangout with your wife. A guy has the guts to walk up and say, Mr. Henderson, is that going overboard in a celebrity's eyes? And I know that you don't look at yourself as a celebrity, but we both know you are. And you hear these stories all the time in Hollywood or Beverly Hills where an actor gets bombarded and doesn't want to put up with it. I've seen it. I've seen it to where it can become, uh, you know, one guy could turn into 10 into a hundred in a hurry. Does that bug you? Is there a line drawn there in the sand to where, Hey, you know, this is me and my wife's time. At least wait until we get up and walk out of the restaurant. Uh, yeah. I mean, it happens all the time whether I'm with my wife, my kids, it doesn't matter. It happens. And, and that's probably the, the place that it does bother me the most is when I'm eating or about to eat or whatever. Um, mostly because, you know, everybody's going to want to shake you. They want to shake your hand and you're about to eat with your hands. And, and, you know, I, I feel like I got to go up and wash my hands again, but when I'm done eating, I, I typically don't have any issue with it. I don't have an issue with it during the meal but it just it does that does bother me does your wife ever roll her eyes and go here we go again like and, no uh, she's there all pretty good i think they're all used to it as well that her and my kids are just you know you know and now nowadays with with all the cell phone cameras and my kids are pretty good at doing that they get asked all the time to take the picture for the, for the person that interrupted us so it, you know it, it is what it is it's part of the part of the deal you know part of the i guess when I have a job that that's on TV and people want to take pictures, it's part of the deal. So speaking about eating, you have the, the gym and you did gave me the walkthrough today. We have a spring 2019 grand opening of the new brewery restaurant. And what's the name of the place going to be called? <laughs> well, we're, we're just now pulling the trigger on the whole project. I've been working on for a couple of years. I think the establishment, the restaurant, is going to be called Hendo's Barrel House, but we're going to have a brewery and a distillery in here. And that they're going to, the brewery and distillery are going to be called Seven Bells uh, Brewery and Distillery. So, and tell me the story of Seven Bells again, like you told me last time. Uh, Seven Bells is it's kind of from the old nautical days. They they kind of keep 
time on on a bell system and i think seven bells is is kind of right before the end of their their eight eight bells means it's into their shift but it also means you know that someone died they'll ring eight bells it you know when they ring seven bells it also means that you got the shit kicked out of you and almost died but you made it through or seven bells all as well as another another saying that comes from that and uh you know we just thought it was a pretty fitting name that kind of tied to my fight career a little bit with you know i've gotten the shit kicked out of me and made it through a number of times and and uh you know sometimes i've gotten the shit kicked out of me and came out on top a number of times as well but you know it that's kind of where that came from and and uh i didn't i didn't want to put my name on, on an actual brew or distilling brand or label um just because you know we're going to be serious about having that beer and alcohol that we brew and distill top-notch really good alcohol and beer so we're looking forward to going out and bringing it to, to that to the world but you know we're going to start here in temecula and have you tasted all of the beers that you're going to be brewing and um, offering it to your customer base? And have they, have you already approved all of these? They're ready to go as soon as they're up. No, right now we're, we're in the process of uh, just getting the plans drawn up from an architect to get the, the restaurant and brewery distillery uh, built out in, in my building here where my gym is. And at the same time we're, we're, coming up with our own recipes for beer and uh, distilling our own recipes with, with different alcohols. So, you know, and that that's going to change over time. You know, we're going to try to develop six or seven different beers that, that are our staples. And then, you know, a number of four or five different alcohols that were really good and then come up with uh, an occasional, uh, different one or new one that we we have all the time as well so you know it's a process of uh coming up with new recipes i think it's i'm looking forward to this whole project and what about the what about the food is it a barbecue joint is it american food is it got a mexican flair to it what are you going to be offering on the menu uh we haven't quite come up with the menu but it'll be more uh american american based um you know food with Obviously, wings and pizza and, and the bar food as well, but some healthy stuff as well, having some sort of uh, healthy kick to the menu, but you know, a lot of barbecue as well. I want to do a little bit of each. We're definitely going to um, get a Traeger in here to smoke our meats and, and have a big outdoor pizza oven for some pizzas. So both of those uh, were, are planning to be outside. And one of your other loves that I know that you share with your wife and a lot of friends is music, country music, new and old, classic. You'll have a stage, bands. You're going to have a party scene. You talked about an outdoor patio. When I walked out there, the amount of traffic's amazing. You're in a great location, it seems. Obviously, I don't know my way around this part of Temecula, but it, is it going to be a, a, that country music bands playing, live music, come and dance? Is there going to be a dance floor? What, what's in the entertainment part of it? Yeah, we definitely, we will be country bar, kind of a sports bar, bar feel to it, you know, pretty rustic and, uh, you know, indoor, outdoor stage for, for live music. You know, it's, it's going to be just a, a nice family hangout during the day and, and more of a, a nighttime 
party place at night. Would you ever on your wall in your gym or on the wall in the new brewery restaurant, Hendo, put a picture of you in the outdoors? Would you, are you proud of your outdoor passion and your hunting heritage? Um, would you, I don't, I'm not talking about a big bloody mess of animals that you'd killed, but are, am I going to, can I expect to see a, a hunting picture of Dan Hendo in the new rustic field? I'm sure you'll probably see a few of my mounts mounted here as well. You know, I think uh, I'm I'm proud of that, and and I, I, we want to offer on occasion, you know, special different uh, things on the menu with wild game that that I kill or my friends kill. So we want to offer that as so well. So you're gonna have to get a special license for that through the city or through the health department to be able to do that. Uh, I'm sure we're we're gonna have to figure that out, but yeah, that's the plan. I think. I'll, yeah, there are other places that do that occasionally. And, and, uh, man, I can imagine like a end of season or maybe to kick off the season, but some type of, uh, Dan Henderson wild game feed in conjunction with Traeger and the foul life. I'm picturing it right now. A little couple <laughs> bands. We get it comes some bands up in here and just, yeah, a bunch I mean, of ducks absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, an elk burger offering, you know, some sort of venison, maybe even some, uh, some, some wild goose and, and duck. From, from the foul life, <laughs> the Oklahoma hunt, yeah. which, you know, we're getting ready to air that here in a couple of weeks and going through the footage and seeing me and you cook and you're look, talking in the blind. And, um, you know, that it was awesome. We're going to do it again. We already talked today about going to Canada with Leith and the take them outfitters up there with Clay Charlton and my buddies over in Saskatchewan as well at Buck Paradise and Grant Kuypers and UFC's, you know, it's big up there. There's been a lot of UFC fights up in different places, uh, provinces and cities in Canada. And when I, when I talk about my friendship with you, Grant Kuypers and those guys are just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's Hendo. You're like, we need to get him up here and hunt. And I always talk to Leith Lofton about, dude, all you need to do is have your guitar and you get to hunt, you get invited to hunt everywhere. You know, I, I mess with him all the time, even though he's a blast to be with in camp, just like yourself. I think it's cool to see what you did and the way you upheld yourself and the way that you presented yourself to the public and, 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 and we're a fighter and never talk shit and always were respectful of your opponent. It's just cool to see how the public latches onto you. And I know that this brewery is going to be a success. I know that this gym is going to continue to grow and uh, us being able to come in and sit down and talk with you is awesome. And when we go to Canada, I, I can already picture this night of of how many people are going to walk up to you and want to get your pictures and then Leith Lofton playing guitar and we're up above north of the border and you still have that fan base and you still have so many people that cherish what you did. I know you take it, you know, like, Hey, just, it just falls off your back as another day. Cause you're humble about it, but man, it's, it's cool to see. And I can't wait to get up there. And I think that that'll be, you know, the second trip of ours of many more. And I wanted to tell you this a personal thank you before you say anything to that is you introduced me to Bruce at Leupold. We got a deal with Leupold and signed a deal with Leupold and represent Leupold optics now in rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes. <clears throat> my, my buddy, Alex Crosby, uh, archery killed a 171 non-typical the other day in Nevada and was using Leupold products on his rangefinder and his binoculars and his spotting scope. And then my brother, the day after heart was lucky enough to harvest a 201 mule deer, wow. a perfect, typical symmetrical four by four monster deer of a lifetime in Nevada. Wow. And I just want to say thank you very much for having the confidence in us to even introduce me to Bruce. And if you talk to Bruce, I talked to him quite a bit now, but you know, tell him that we're proud of it. And we thank you guys very much for that. No, oh, no problem. My pleasure. I mean, it's kind of how the world works. You introduce, uh, your friends, the people that you want to introduce them to. And, and 
you uh, represent the industry and and everything with respect and and you know I like uh, I like that and how you how your your show kind of is is portrayed on, on TV. So it's because of that, not because of you. <laughs> no, and I get that. And I, <laughs> no, and I'm I, kidding. No, I respect that. And I you know us going to Canada and us being able to go to Oklahoma with Blue and in Flatline Outfitters last year, a lot of people look at me and go, man, you got the dream life. You get to hunt with Hendo. And I look at him and I go, you're exactly right. We work hard. <laughs> we, we, we get a chance to meet somebody in life. And we very easily could have said hi in passing and never talked again for one reason or the other, the mutual respect there leads into a friendship to where now I get to eat lunch with you and come to your gym and go to your house and swim in your pool. I'm hoping I hope there's water in it cause I'm hot, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you, you doors open by treating people right. And making sure that you do what you say you're going to do and following through. And some mistakes are made. I remember coming up, you know, I would always promise people, oh, yeah, man, I can do that and I can do that because I always wanted to. And then you drop a ball and then you get a reputation of, oh, man, he doesn't follow through and you don't want to do that. And I think that you saw that, you know, I would follow through and I, I knew that you do. And I just want to make sure that you understood how much gratifying it was to get that deal with Leupold and, and also be able to share blinds with you. And I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to going to Canada and, and uh, just so you know, Canada is, I've always said this from, I don't know how many years now, that they probably have the most MMA fans per capita than anywhere I've been in the world. I mean, a lot more than the U.S. It's just the percentage of people up there that know MMA and follow it is a lot more than, than in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world, even Brazil. I mean, I've been to a lot of places and, and Everywhere I'm at, no matter where it is in the world, if I run into a Canadian, they're a big MMA fan. So you you know that that night's going to be full of that. It's going to be one after the other, but that's going to be fun. And yeah, I welcome it. You welcome it. And with the duck hunting and goose hunting and the food up there, the flair, we, we got a lot of work left to do today. Again, we're coming at you live from Dan Henderson's gym in Temecula, California. Anything that you want to say as far as fights coming up, you want to say you got any fighters on the scene that you want to talk about? I, I, I want to make sure that we promote this gym because this place is awesome. And the plans that you have with it that you walked me through today with the brewery and restaurant included, I can't wait for the spring of 19 to see how this comes out as far as the construction and build out goes. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. And, you know, I'm I'm still coaching my team. And, uh, you know, I think in the UFC, we got smiling Sam Alvey that's fighting uh, September 22nd against Little Nog in Brazil. And then Ashley Yoder's fighting, uh, I think, in early November, I want to say. Um, so, and, and she's looking forward to finally getting back, uh, getting back in there. She's fighting on the, in the, Vegas card. So I don't know exactly who's on that one. But that's UFC. Yeah. Do any other promotions fight in Vegas? Does Bell Bellator's fought in Vegas lately, haven't they? Or do they? Are they allowed in Vegas? Uh, they are, <laughs> but you know, I think uh, as far as bigger promotions, Bellator's really the only other one. Um you know, I don't know which ones uh are in there, you know, but uh Bellator fights all over the world as well and I I kind of appreciate how they are kind of just doing their thing and not trying to directly compete with the UFC. They, they, you know, at the same time, they're, they're looking to entertain the fans and throw the best matchups they can out there. And, and that's what it's all about. It's awesome to hear. And before we go, we can't leave without talking about the world famous H bomb. You had your bobblehead released and it's selling. 
and now you're showing me and now you're telling me that they're that I might be able to get one of them tonight or tomorrow or you're out of them already or I try to get a Dan Henderson t-shirt they're out I mean is is the merchandise and the Dan Henderson brand so popular to where a buddy can't even get one going or what's up <laughs> well we did sell out of our shirts pretty quick we, we typically don't have a lot of uh, different styles at the same time at the gym we come up we, we, we make one and sell it out and then we order and get a different one so and then the bobbleheads I got one at home for you yeah, I'm taking it. I want one. I, I think the picture that I'm looking at that you showed me today, that's, is that your, that's a, a picture of a, a huge batch of just the heads that were getting ready to be assembled onto the bottle head, bottle heads. Yeah. It's crazy how they make them. It's all handmade over in China and they hand make, they, 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 they pour the, the, the plastic into the mold. They pull it out by hand. They put it in a big batch or a big pile, and, and that was a picture of that. That uh, the 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 head of the company was over there at the, at the factory, and he took a picture of it, and then he thought it'd be pretty cool, and and I think he posted it on his social media, and uh, a bunch of people wanted a, a a big signed picture of that, so we we signed a, a number of them a couple of weeks ago, and and yeah, I got one from my office. It's a different. It's a, Definitely a different thing, but uh, it's actually kind of a cool story. Yeah, it is big time. So you got the Traeger going tonight. We're going to cook out, and I don't know what you got going on it, but you're a big fan of it still. You're rolling with it. You got your pig cookout coming up in, is that in two weeks from now? Uh, it's Labor Day weekend, but yeah, we uh, we I have it every year, and typically it's on Labor Day. last couple of years it's been in October, but uh, we cook a big 220 pound pig and 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 then i'll also throw a smaller pig on uh a smoker or something and we uh we do it upright it's, it's a full-on it'll be fun and do you have sorry do you have anybody coming to sing at that at all uh mojiles is the band that's been there for the last three years and, and bobby pinson's usually coming and chuck wicks usually comes as well he might be there as well this year and uh you gotta get the low cash boys out there man uh, they got a new song out they're killing it they're so busy they're on tour just coming up and trying to uh what's that i'll get all i'll get them all out here to temecula at some point they, they've they all played at different wineries and stuff in temecula before so so with the new restaurant and the brewery you're gonna have a stage you're gonna have these bands coming in here and and you know a lot I'll of I'll be calling music. in some favors for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Hando, awesome to talk to you again and catch up. And we're down here all day today, all day tomorrow. We're going to uh, get to meet a bunch of the fighters this afternoon as they come in for sparring practice as well as tomorrow morning. Looking forward to that. Um, you know, kudos to you, what's going on. And I can't wait to see how all this plays out. And I can't wait for the grand opening. Well, I appreciate it. And you're welcome. Uh, glad to have you down here. Appreciate it, Hendo. Guys, Chad Belding. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, Dan Henderson, what a career, what a friend, what a man. Um, our new episodes of the Foul Life Season 10 are airing as we speak on the Outdoor Channel. We're excited about them as well as our new Foul Life merchandise at the Foul Life store on thefowllife.com. Um, show your pride, show your passion for being an American hunter. We're, uh, we got new designs coming weekly and if not weekly, every other week. And we're proud of that. So anything else that you need from us, let us know. Our YouTube channel is hot or, uh, check us out on Instagram at the foul life TV. And, uh, we can't wait to, uh, get back in the blind.
We're going to kick it off in South Dakota for the early goose season coming up in September with my good buddy, Chris Green at Migration X Outfitters. And uh, just send us a direct message or an email at info at the If you have any, uh, any, you know, points to make or anything that you want to see specifically, we'll get on it. Tom, please play that song by Mr. Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone for Dan Henderson in Temecula, California. I'm Chad Belding. This has been another episode of the podcast called this life ain't for everybody. Thank you very much. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?